recorded a series of five interviews with people who live in rainbow families. I'll be honest with you, I don't care about marriage. But too many people I know were being attacked by hate and vilification masquerading as sensible arguments about marriage equality and a possible amendment to the 1961 Australian Marriage Act. Since 1961, that very act has had no less than 25 amendments, including those in 2004 that integrated the common law definition of marriage into both the Marriage and the Family Law Acts. In all that time, not once have any of the amendments been subject to a plebiscite. The 2004 amendment defined marriage as Marriage means the union of a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered into for life. Subsection 5.1 Previous to this, the Act didn't define marriage. The Liberal Party's 2004 amendment bill was supported by the Labor Party, Family First, the Christian Democratic Party and the Nationals. Only the Democrats and the Greens opposed it. The Greens called it the Marriage Discrimination Act. Senator Andrew Bartlett stated that the legislation devalued his marriage. And Senator Bob Brown noted, Australia has a straight Australia policy now. I conducted the Rainbow Families interviews as an ally. I wanted to know what allies could do to support friends and family. One thing that I took from those interviews is to listen to the stories of those impacted. And while Malcolm Turnbull's same-sex marriage plebiscite bill may have been blocked in the Senate on November 7 and the plebiscite stopped, Rainbow families still face daily discrimination. The Australian Marriage Act applies uniformly throughout Australia, so states and territories are constitutionally precluded from making any law inconsistent with the Act. Australian marriage law does not recognise any other forms of union outside the 2004 definition, including traditional Aboriginal unions, same-sex unions or polygamous unions. Although, since 2009, the Australian Family Law Act has recognised de facto relationships, including same-sex unions. In the Australian Capital Territory in 2013, same-sex marriage was legalised from September 19 to December 12, but the legislation was challenged by the Federal Government and subsequently overturned by the High Court. The ACT's law was deemed inconsistent with the Marriage Act and any subsequent amendments. The 31 same-sex marriages performed under that legislation became void. I began the Rainbow Family series with an interview with Ben Davison. This interview first aired on September 17, 2016. I grew up in a family with two mums, my biological mum and her partner. My mum started her same-sex relationship while she was pregnant with me. This was the early 80s. Mum was barely 20. People were calling AIDS a gay cancer, so it wasn't exactly a very supportive environment. The sort of amazing thing looking back on it was that as a young child, I never really thought of us as being different or unusual. It didn't occur to me until later when I was probably being more socialised with other children. Mum worked really hard doing traditional blue-collar jobs. She worked in an abattoir, a mental health hospital, laundry. Eventually she got a job in the public service. You know, but we were really normal. I went to school, I had friends, I played sport, we had family trips to the beach. and Things weren't always perfect, but there was no real point until I got to school that I really understood that having two mums wasn't, in inverted commas, the norm. And uh, that's when things sort of started to change and, and, you know, I started to get reactions from people. And how did those reactions make you feel? Oh, look, there was really a spectrum of the reactions to me having two mums and my feelings went along that spectrum. Some people didn't really care. There was a lot of really well-meaning but misplaced, are you okay? People sort of expressing their concerns about a young male raised by two women. In a way, that could be among the worst and create a great deal of humiliation and discomfort 
there were some kids, whether it was them or their parents, just didn't want to know me. And that was really difficult to understand and really hurtful. Others were really openly hostile, right? And and they'd yell abuse, people vandalised our home, people killed our pets. We had one neighbour who blamed us because, well, blame my mum's really, because his wife left him. Now, he couldn't wrap his head around the fact that he would regularly get drunk and beat his wife and their children. You know, it had to be because the lesbians had seduced her. Now, that obviously wasn't the case, but it didn't stop him coming to the house mm. <laughs> and launching into these accusations. And that, that's terrifying. Can you remember what you did to try and make sense of all that? I've been thinking about that a lot as this debate around marriage equality and, and really equal rights has been coming up. I had a great sense of love for my family. And I think at the time, that anger would manifest itself. I'd get into fights in the schoolyard and there'd be dust-ups and all the rest of it. Nothing very serious, thankfully, but certainly not the kind of behaviour that you want and the kind of life you want young people leading where they feel they've got to physically defend their family and, and, and their own sense of who they are from people who were, as I say, not just, not just using hurtful words, but in some cases quite literally dangerous people who had committed acts of violence either against members of my family or against other people, against defenseless animals. Thinking about it now, it's very concerning to think that there'll be people subject to that kind of behaviour in an amplified sense in the coming months. It is, and I mean, as an adult, after kind of going through all that stuff, trying to help and support your mums as a kid, how do you do that now? It's taken me a lot of years to accept that Back then, you know, I was a child and, and it was pretty limited what I could do. I've been, again, very lucky to have a great education, both formally and, and through my experiences of life. So that's given me the skills to understand how to make a change and how to make a contribution to support my, my family and my mums. And my relationship with my mum is now very, very strong. And again, I've been fortunate enough to speak out against some of this misleading propaganda that gets put out there about families like mine. That propaganda is often very misguided for political and, and sometimes quite bigoted reasons. Personally, I've tried to form a little group of people like me, adult rainbow babies. We have rainbow families. There's a Facebook group. If any of your listeners are the adult children of rainbow families, I'd certainly encourage them to get in touch. You know, our message is really simple. Love is love. You know, your life is yours to define and it doesn't belong to the bigotry of those who want to deny your family equality. So for those of us who really do want to be allies, but are like me and aren't really sure how we can support people like yourself, people like your mums, could you give us an idea maybe of some of the things we might be able to do? And as you've mentioned before, maybe some of the things that we might want to avoid. It's important not to speak for other people. I have friends who really care passionately about marriage equality because it will impact their lives directly. So it's important that, that I don't try and speak for them. I don't speak for my mum in any of this. If same-sex marriage becomes legal, it won't be up to me to make a decision whether she gets married or not. I care about it because it's about eliminating discrimination against people, including children. When people want to be allies, they need to talk to people about what this means. They need to listen to the stories of people's experience. It's really important, I think, to have conversations. Have conversations with your neighbours, with your friends at work, if you play sport, you know, have the conversation at a book club if that's what you do. Talk about what it means. Talk about why equality is important. For most people, equality is important. My experience has always been the most unhelpful thing is, is ignoring or disregarding 
the experiences of those most directly impacted. Listen, empathise, provide support when asked and probably just acknowledge that something can be really, really important, not because it's going to have a direct impact on you, but because there's an element of justice to it. That was Ben Davison reflecting on his childhood growing up with two mums. Here are the Archipelicans with Your Children. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and the daughters of a light longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You can give them your love and not your thoughts. They have their own thoughts. They have their own thoughts. You can house their bodies but not their souls. For their souls dwell in a house of tomorrow. And you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. Strive to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. Strive to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. What concerned many Rainbow families was the way in which anti-marriage equality groups used children as weapons in the debate. Wrapped up in a lot of the homophobic rhetoric about the plebiscite was an attack against an anti-bullying program called Safe Schools, which deals specifically with gender and sexuality issues. This interview first aired on September 24. In March 2016, a federal government investigation, some say a rushed investigation into the Safe Schools program, led to federal funding being made contingent on a number of changes to the program. Many community members believed these changes to be unworkable, so state governments have bridged the funding shortfall. And just this week, the No Marriage Equality campaign invoked the image of Nelson Mandela, which is being viewed as a cynical act given Mandela was the first African leader to outlaw discrimination based on sexual orientation and appointed South Africa's first openly gay judge back in 1994. Today I'm speaking with Sue Swinburne, who understands these issues intimately. One of her children is transgender, and they've used the Safe Schools program. Our home life, I think, is pretty typical of a busy family with two working parents and two young kids. Dogs, chickens, school, sport on the weekends, nothing nothing terribly surprising. So my reaction, I guess, was formed over knowing her, you know, all her life when she was very young and was able to start dressing herself and choosing her own clothes. She gravitated towards clothes that we would think of as female and and likewise, you know, the kind of stories that she was interested in, the kind of play that she enjoyed, the friendships that she formed were all, I guess, kind of consistent with a more feminine sense of self. As she got a little bit older and realised that that wasn't what everybody else was doing, it became a bit of a, a struggle for her. She became quite withdrawn, very self-conscious, extremely shy, would sometimes struggle to leave the house. So at the age of nine, we were reading a storybook called The Boy Who Wore Dresses, which is about a cis boy who who chooses to wear female clothing. And the story is about the challenges that that brings up for him in his friendship circles and in his family, but also how ultimately his community kind of uh, comes to a place of acceptance and love for him uh, in his 
sense itself. And for my daughter and I reading that story, that was a really huge moment because it opened up an opportunity for her to talk to me about really, really painful thoughts and feelings and ideas that she had been keeping quiet for a really long time. And so reading this book started a conversation between her and her dad and I that I guess wasn't really a huge surprise. So for me, I guess my response to my daughter being trans is actually relief that um, once she was able to transition, it was clear to all of us and especially to her that this was actually how she was complete as a person. How are you making sense of everything else that's going on at the moment, all this other stuff that's happening? How does that make you feel? Look, it's really distressing It's distressing for me to think that there are families that don't have the same kind of love and support that we have. It's really distressing to see the misinformation and untruths that are getting so much airtime and the impact that that's having on services and on kids and families themselves. People uh, within the far right of the government and also kind of far right lobby groups in the community who are running an agenda to kind of promote their own views of the world. There are certain lobby groups which are using transgender children and safe schools as a way to kind of raise fear and confusion around what marriage equality actually means. And unfortunately, my daughter and her trans and gender diverse peers are being used as cannon fodder. It makes me really angry. And I'm glad you raised that point. This this is important, I think, because this is about children. It's about kids. You mentioned the Safe Schools program. How important are those anti-bullying programs? When my daughter started school after transition at the beginning of this year, she's attended that school for four years. So for her to come back to school presenting as her female self... That's going to take some conversation to make sense of for everybody. And Safe Schools was able to come to our school to work with the teachers and and the school staff to give them a really clear sense of what gender diversity is in children, but also what best practice is and and what policy is around helping to support those children so that the kids and the, the broader school community is able to acknowledge and accept the child for who they are. Without Safe Schools, you know, you just... It's really difficult to imagine. I mean, I was so astonished and so hugely grateful that Safe Schools was there. I've also heard that frontline Safe School program workers are subject to things like obscene phone calls, death threats, hate mail. I was just wondering how we, again, as allies, do you think can help support these workers? I think letting the state governments know that these programs are really important and that they should fund them adequately. But when misinformation is being spread about the workers' safe schools, that has a really direct effect on what it's like for these workers to actually turn up in their offices during the day. So making sure that wherever wherever you encounter people who are maligning safe schools or denigrating the work that they do, that you know that we kind of peacefully and respectfully intervene in that conversation and and try and and uh, yeah create a more humane and nuanced response to the work that safe schools are doing. And finally, for those of us who are allies but like me aren't really sure how to go about that, what are your thoughts on what is helpful? In terms of what people could do to become stronger allies, I guess becoming better informed about what gender diversity is in children as well as in adults. But, you know, for me as a parent, you know, I do a lot of work talking to uh, members of parliament, whether they're at state or federal level, uh, talking to service providers, talking with people involved in education. And 
it's hard work and it's kind of exhausting work and a lot of parents, fantastic parents all around Australia are doing that work right now. What's amazing for me and for my daughter is when our allies are visible and when I can show her that somebody has posted on Facebook and said something really supportive and loving about trans children or has responded to something that I've posted about her and has said something really kind and humane. That makes such a huge difference just to know, particularly in the climate that we're in, that you know we're doing our work um, being visible and advocating for our kids and our community. But it's really fantastic when our allies have that same visibility as well so we can kind of feel that sense of community and draw strength from that. That was Sue Swinburne's experiences as a mum to a young transgender daughter and the importance of programs like Safe Schools. But for other people, they transition at other times in their lives. Robin, who for safety reasons asked that names be changed, surnames not be used, and that there is no indication of the state she lives in, has a multi-layered rainbow family. Robin is the mum of an adult transgender daughter and the auntie to a niece in a same-sex relationship. Her niece is mum to an eight-month-old. And for those of us who don't experience discrimination every day, while this series was being recorded, Joy FM in Melbourne was the victim of a bomb threat, which resulted in the station being evacuated and a police investigation. We shouldn't have to be worried about this sort of thing in 2016. This interview first aired on October 1. When she first told me that she was transgender, it was just on two years ago, so she was 20 years old, and she used the phrase, I'm trans, and I had absolutely no idea what she was talking about at that point until she explained. I knew she'd been struggling with depression at the time, and she's always been quite an anxious person, and I thought, okay, this might be the key to what's happening with her. And my main concern was about how are you doing, how long have you felt this way, finding out a bit more about what she was thinking. I wasn't sort of thrown by but just more like, are you okay? What do you need? What's going to happen now? So how long had she been dealing with these issues? She had started to question gender identity from about the age of 15, but really crystallised her thoughts about it only around, you know, a couple of weeks before she let me know. And what has been the reaction from the communities around you? Well, it took us a little while to tell the family. By the time I talked to her sisters, somebody else had already told them because Andrea is very open online about her gender identity and still blogs her transition along the way. And one of her friends had actually told her younger sisters before I had an opportunity to do that. The family in general has been very, very accepting of what's been happening in our family. I think that our kids knew that if they came out as gay, nobody was going to fall through the floor. This is a whole new concept because gender identity is is not just something that is private to the person. It's a whole social difference where you have to navigate a whole lot of judgment. My friends in general have been really good and her friends were really good. Her grandmother didn't react well initially. I actually thought I might need to get an ambulance after I told her about it. Her first response after she'd recovered was that it really made no difference. Her grandson would always still be her grandson. It actually took till my daughter's 21st birthday and she had purchased for her grandson very male cards and wrapping paper and gifts, etc. Everyone in the family apart from her had been calling Andrea she and by her preferred name for months at this stage. Uh, my husband went up and talked to her and, and uh, said, you know, all, all Andrea really wants for her birthday is to be recognised and celebrated as herself. 
and he explained the rates of self-harm that happen in young, unsupported transgender young people. It's just horrendous and it pretty much scared her into coming around. As far as friends, we have a connection with performing arts. There's a lot of acceptance and celebration of diversity in those circles. So although transgender was a new idea to most of us, the response has been mostly of support and concern. I did lose one friend who simply stopped talking to me altogether and that hurt and still hurts a lot. How did these um, reactions make you feel? As I said, I feel very blessed by the general acceptance and support and I know that Andrea does too. I do feel frustrated that some people find it more of a struggle. But in a way, I have to respect where they are in their own understanding of the situation and hopefully that they will come around as they see transition happening and see that Andrea is still the same lovely person than she's always been. You said that when Andrea came out to you as transgender, you needed to do some research. Could you just explain what you did and where you went? My biggest support probably as an individual, as a mum, has been online in, in the form of Facebook groups for parents of transgender kids. I'm part of those groups and I talk to those people on a daily basis and have learnt a great deal from them. Also, of course, we accessed medical professionals. I went with Andrea to support her in the initial appointments with psychiatrists and psychologists and her GP and a speech pathologist and an endocrinologist. We've seen so many people. And, and that's been part of our education and understanding of what's happening too. One of the biggest helps that I had was from a man who was part of a counselling service. He was a trans man himself and he brought me to understand that it's a very individual thing, that I don't have to be racing Andrea to make decisions and changes. She will do that at her own pace. And really it came down to what do you want to do and when do you want to do it? Within this context, how have you now started supporting the broader LGBTIQ plus and gender diverse communities? In terms of my online presence, I do share a lot of stuff on social media about marriage equality. I do interact with people online who are not on the same page about these things. To me, it really isn't a big deal allowing two people who want to be together to be married, for example, if we're talking about the plebiscite. And I do respect there are people who have religious or ethical principles that won't ever get their head around that it's just a simple acceptance of relationships that are really none of their business. But to me, you need to look at this as marriage being a civil law. Nobody is hurt by a change to the definition of marriage in terms of the civil law. As allies, do you have any ideas or opinions about what we can do politically? I think it's really important to keep the debate respectful. It can get really nasty very quickly. The other night online, I was on a page that was clearly supporting marriage equality. There was a person posting that homosexuality is an abomination. And of course, that triggered some nasty comments back from those who don't like to be referred as an abomination. If people would just be honest on both sides, if people would just say, I don't agree with same-sex marriage because it's against my beliefs, that's different to actually accusing someone of being an abomination. It's only a change in the law and the whole society won't suddenly plummet into something unrecognisable if you go ahead with this change. Finally, for those of us who are allies, but like me, aren't really sure how to go about doing that, what are your thoughts on, say, what is helpful for your family and yourself? People do have 
different ideas about whether things are right or wrong and they have a right to believe those things but they also if they treat it in a factual way will I think be able to come to common ground. That was Robin speaking candidly there to us about her family's reaction to her daughter's transition. Before hearing from Elvira Earthstar here are the Audreys with Nothing Wrong With Me.
families come in all shapes, just like all other families really, and Elvira Earthstar's household is two mums, one child and a newborn. At the time of this interview, Elvira was only days away from giving birth and it first aired on October 8, 2016. I am a midwife and my partner Jan is a social worker. We live in a small country town in Victoria. Jan gave birth four years ago to our lovely daughter, Sam, and she goes to childcare a couple of days a week and we both work part-time so that we can spend time at home with her and support each other's careers. And I'm currently nine months pregnant with our second baby who will be coming sometime in the next three weeks. What was the reaction from, say, your family, extended family and friends when you and Jan originally got together? From my friends, it was a delight because Jan is lovely. My family and extended family were a little bit surprised because the people who I'd kind of brought home for Christmas before or introduced around to the family had all been men. So they didn't have it on their radar that a woman might turn up as my partner. But after a couple of double takes, everyone was equally delighted and Jan has been very much welcomed into our family, which has been really important because Jan was born in the USA and has no family in Australia. And have you travelled to the US to meet Jan's family at all? Yes, I have. We went to the US nearly five years ago now to her brother's wedding and her father comes out once a year to spend time with us and her mother's been out a couple of times as well since Sam has been born. So we do have quite a good relationship with Jan's family and a lot of that has actually changed since we've had a baby. So we Skype really regularly with both of her parents. So what has been the reaction towards Sam having two mums from people outside your family? You know, we both meet a lot of people in our respective jobs and we both thought that we might have to maybe deal with a little bit of questioning or maybe some rude comments, but there has literally been nothing in terms of negativity. Having our daughter in childcare, we sort of went in with a list of questions and all of those were answered very clearly and competently and, you know, with kind of a grin and, you know, she's not the first and she won't be the last. Even in our small country town, we've had quite a lot of positive comments in that women and men are socialised quite differently when it comes to child rearing. And so for a lot of our women friends who are going through early motherhood, they are very supportive and very happy to see a family where we both take time out from our careers to raise children because in heterosexual couples, 90% of families are still having men working full time. So we've had a lot of people express admiration for the way that we've been able to do it. You have one child. You've got another on the way. Congratulations. That's That's so exciting. Thank you. And Jan was pregnant with your first and you're pregnant with your second. How did that decision kind of come about and manifest itself? There's quite a few things that came into it. Um, We both wanted to have the experience of pregnancy and birth and spending time at home with a young baby, both sort of as a a personal journey, but also in terms of the power balance in our relationship, we see very commonly that many people these days have very, very equal relationships in straight couples until babies come along and then the massive shift that comes about in terms of who's at home and who's bringing in money from an employer and who does what kind of work and what gets counted and valued by society leads to big power imbalances in relationships. So we we were sort of quite aware that if we could both do it, then that should even itself out over time and we would end up being more equal in our confidence as parents and in our support of each other. 
bit of a personal question here. So how yeah. exactly did you both become pregnant? Yeah, so we've had uh, a couple of different journeys with that. We decided on a known donor. So we approached a friend who's actually the partner of a very good friend of mine. And he had previously donated to another queer couple. For Jan, it was a very simple process and we just did home insemination. It really involved some careful timing and a small cup and a syringe and two separate rooms and a bit of giggling. And within a few months, Jan was pregnant. For me, it was uh, quite a bit more difficult. Um, We tried the same approach and I did not fall pregnant for a while and ended up having fertility investigations and was diagnosed with endometriosis, which is quite a difficult disease in that the external symptoms don't necessarily match the severity of the disease inside. So it's when the lining of the womb is growing elsewhere in the body. So I'd had some symptoms of it, but didn't think it was that severe. But when it was investigated properly, it was found to be quite severe. So I needed to go and have IVF. And that was quite challenging and costly, but it was effective after a couple of cycles, which we've been very grateful for. Uh, And here we are. Do you think of your donor's other children as brothers and sisters or cousins for your kids? Do they have any relationship or none? So he has very kindly donated to two families, ourselves and another queer couple, and also has his own child. So we, you know, we would say we've got my side of the family, Jan's side of the family and the Rainbow family. And it is very much an extended family relationship. The kids all get along really well. And we talk about them as being Rainbow cousins because certainly socially they're not being raised together or raised by the same parents. And it might be a few months between seeing each other. You know, there's no limits to how big your family can be. So we've just claimed an extra branch than what most people get. And with such a wonderfully large, broad rainbow family, how are you and your family, I guess, making sense of the political guff around marriage equality, plebiscites, safe schools? Look, it drives me nuts. The fact that the plebiscite is being debated at all is ridiculous. It should be a vote in Parliament that should have happened under the Gillard government a long time ago. It's very frustrating that it hasn't happened under any of the governments we've had in the last 15 years. But what I find particularly upsetting about the debate happening at the moment is that unrelated issues are being brought into it. The issue of whether I can marry my partner or not has zero impact on whether or not we're having children. Our family structure is really clearly legally recognised. So bringing children into the debate and talking about whether our family structure is valid is very rude. And for the Christian right to keep pounding on about it is awful. If marriage equality for all is achieved, would you marry? We may end up doing it. Certainly our commitment to each other is very strong and we intend to remain partners for life and all of the things, all of the reasons that people usually get married are very much there in our relationship. But then there's kind of an underlying question, which is about whether the state gets to decide about our relationship or what difference that would make if the government comes in and gives us a certificate. So we don't quite know. Finally, for those of us who wish to be allies but aren't really sure how to go about doing that, what are your thoughts on what is helpful when people like me are supporting wonderful rainbow families like yours? Mm. Oh, thanks for the question. Yeah, it is It is an important thing to think about. One of the things I think is most important is actually for the broader community to take this on. And I think that that has happened quite a bit. But just for that to continue so that the onus of activism and making the arguments don't fall exclusively onto people who are queer. 
I think the biggest concern that people are having is about the impact on, on children and teenagers in particular because people who are further into their adulthood have often been through some of this and feel a little bit more comfortable to argue our own points. But children don't decide what families they get born into or what their sexuality is. We don't want, you know, the three or four kids in a year level at school who either are from a queer family or are starting to think about that they themselves might be queer. They shouldn't be the only ones who have to make the argument. They should be backed up by the rest of their school. Anyone who is a parent, I would say, needs to, particularly parents who are not in rainbow families, need to spend time talking with their children about different family structures and that can start really from, you know, the ages of one and two. There's different picture books around that have different kinds of families demonstrated within them, all the way through to quite interesting documentaries about gaby baby that can be watched as a family for people who are wanting to be allies, be visually allies. So whether that's wearing a sticker, putting something on your car, flying a rainbow flag out the front of your house, um, asking your local cafe to put up a little rainbow sticker, uh, just to make sure that every community throughout Australia has really visible signs of support. I think we all know what the result of a plebiscite is going to be, um, but it'd be good if it wasn't a painful process for families like ours. Since this interview was originally broadcast, Elvira and Jan have been blessed with a bouncing baby boy. Next we have Josh Pike with Middle of the Hill. I grew up in a house on a hill Not the top, not the bottom, but the middle And I still remember where I cracked my head In the vacant lot There's a row of tiny houses there now And we used to light fires in the gutters And I could cool my head on the concrete steps But the girl down the street hit my sister on the head with a stick And we hid behind my father as he knocked on her parents' door To tell him what she did, but the parents were drunk
then Senator Janet Rice, who married her transgender wife, Penny, 30 years ago when she was Peter, said Australia did not need to be put through a divisive debate that would not even be binding. We know that our same-sex marriage is just as important and valid and deep and wonderful and loving as our heterosexual one was. Our marriage highlights and underlines the ridiculousness of our current marriage laws. For us to stay married, Penny isn't able to have a birth certificate that says she is female. If she did that, we would have to get divorced. That is crazy. The plebiscite is wrong under any circumstances because people's human rights should not be subject to a popular vote. It is people's lives and people's well-being which is at stake here. This next interview aired on October 29, 2016, just one week before the plebiscite bill was defeated in the Senate by 33 votes to 29. The following interview is with Bruce Francis, who was part of the Lesbians and Gays Support for the Miners Group back in 1984. The group raised money in London to financially support striking coal miners in the UK's north, and then travelled to the small Welsh town to physically support the striking miners as well. Bruce is a lifelong and fearless advocate for equality and human rights. I'll just let Bruce introduce himself. Hello, I'm Bruce Francis. I live in Brunswick in Melbourne. I was born in the country, in a country town. I came to Melbourne as a 16-year-old to uh, study. And I guess my passion for uh, social justice stems from that time. I've worked during my life as a housing activist. I've been involved in community broadcasting for 14 years and most recently I've worked in international development, usually around issues of community development and around issues of campaigning for systemic change. I'm a gay man, have been aware of my gayness since the age of 10 and uh, I live with my partner, a friend who we co-bought our house with and a young woman who I I've been the primary carer for over recent years, although she's now a brilliant young adult. As primary caregiver to an adult daughter, I started by asking Bruce to explain their home life while she was growing up. I was involved with caring for her from a very early stage. She was about three months old, so I had been involved um, in a couple of nights two or three nights a week, holidays, being a carer. And then she came to live with us when she was 16. So she's always had her own space, her own room. We've been very much involved in the everyday aspects of life, doing all the sort of the normal sorts of things. As part of being a carer, that was part of what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a special weekend dad. I wanted to be a carer who was there um, and had to deal with the everyday. So that's what we've done and she's been an integral part of our life for you know the last 20 odd years and what was the reaction at the time to your daughter having two dads from people outside your networks there's a fabulous story i tell about her school when she was here one night just before the father's day stall at school and um as she went to bed she hadn't mentioned it to them but when she went to bed she became upset about the fact that there was a limit on how much she could spend at the father's day stall and she worked out that if she was going to buy three presents then um she would not have enough 
enough money to be able to do that because of the limit. I said, well, you know, you don't need to buy Brian and I presents. We're not really your father. No, 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 I want to buy presents. I want to buy presents. I said, all right, well, we'll go in tomorrow and we'll talk to your teacher and see. I went in tomorrow and talked to the teacher. I said, I, you know, she doesn't need to buy presents for us. She said, oh, no, I suggested that. I thought it would be a really good idea. So that was a really nice experience for me that the, the school knew about our situation, that we were playing a role in her life and was actually trying to be very encouraging and recognise that role. I think generally it's probably for my family, some of who have, you know, fairly conservative. It's sort of been a little bit challenging, but, you know, I think my mum especially was um, particularly good in... Um, accepting this role and KC was a large part of our life. So how did these reactions make you feel? The positive ones always bring a very warm glow. The negative ones are tricky um, at times. At some stage, I went to some counselling service around things that were happening around our lives. The counsellor, I must say, was appalling and just kept saying, what are you doing having a role in somebody's life who you're not the biological parent of? I found that very distressing. Not so distressing that I didn't report them for being sort of incompetent as a counsellor. Clearly, you know, you're trying to grapple with things and um, to not have that accepted is pretty tricky. In terms of the social circle that I've moved in, it's always been a very progressive group of people, so there's not been any issues around that. How exactly are you making sense then of the political guff around marriage equality? It's an interesting question. I should say from the outset, two things. One is that it should be everyone's right to choose to be married or not. And I would say also that as a gay man, I wouldn't choose to be married. I think the thing that worries me most, I think at present time, is a it shouldn't be an issue. The marriage law to define it as between a man and a woman was changed by Parliament and it should be changed back by Parliament. But I am concerned about the sort of the discriminatory, homophobic vitriol that would come about through a plebiscite. You don't necessarily have to answer this, but have you ever been a victim of such vitriol? Um, yep. Um, one time we were in Sydney, we were attacked by a group of skinheads in Grand Park and fortunately were saved by a bunch of baseball bat-wielding gay vigilantes. One of the people that we were with who wasn't a gay man was beaten and terrified. So that's a pretty nasty experience. I've been abused verbally. My partner's been bashed. As a young person growing up in a country town, the biggest fear in my life was around being a exposed as being a gay man. There was no recognition, no support, and I was really conscious, I guess, that it was a situation that was very dangerous. So my teenage years were spent trying to make myself as invisible as possible. Oh, that's, that's, oh, that's all horrible. Oh, well, full on. Uh, so in that sense, well, not in that sense, but do you feel Australia's moving towards some sort of broader idea of equality for LGBTIQ plus people's rights? 
I'm extremely positive. I think we're going forward. You know, I see the young people that are a really big part of my life. For them, it's just a non-issue. They judge people on the basis of who people are. I feel no rejection, no judgment, and people really sort of protective even. I think what happens as the balance shifts and majority view is that it's actually not an issue, is that those who are stuck in prejudice become more extreme. And I think that's what we're seeing is the last vestiges of that sort of extreme homophobia being played out and largely being played out through either extreme right-wingers in the media or via social media. I think they're dying out and I'm very positive around where we've come, certainly in terms of my life in the last 50 years. Um, it's... Uh, completely sort of transformed. That doesn't mean that within that there's not awful things that are happening, that there's still some discrimination, some of which is quite subtle, some of which is quite out there, but I think the trend and history is moving in our direction. And what about, say, the people in Parliament who are against marriage equality? Would you perceive them as being, say, homophobic? How do you perceive them in the public sphere? I think anyone who's against marriage equality is homophobic. I think they represent a small section of the population that they represent, but I don't think they're, they're actually representing their electorates with their views. I think it's part of the religious right, and for some unknown reason to me, the issues of abortion and the issues of gay marriage uh, are two of the central issues for the religious right. Both issues, I think, are really around ensuring ongoing oppression of uh, disadvantaged groups. So I think the agenda is clear. It's one that's um, very anti-equality and they are certainly part of the problem. Finally, for those of us like me who wish to be allies but aren't totally sure how to do that, what are your thoughts on what is helpful? Or on the flip side of that, are there things that are decidedly unhelpful when supporting rainbow families? I think the biggest thing for me is not to be silent. If you see homophobia, speak up against it. Listen to what people's experiences are. Understand what people's experiences are. Our experiences tend to shape us for good and, and for not, you know, some which are not necessarily so good. But I think to understand that and to appreciate as a gay man, I'm still an individual and we're all different, but there are particular things which are collectively important to us. Understanding both those aspects of who we are, I think, is really important. Certainly, I think the speaking up against prejudice is, you know, for me, the key thing. Changing the Marriage Act was never the point for those opposing marriage equality and demanding the plebiscite. As we know, plebiscites do not have any legal force in Australia, and the hate that was flung around during the plebiscite debate was merely a drop in the ocean compared to what would have been thrown during a full-blown argument about marriage equality. Some of those opposing marriage equality, such as the Australian Christian Lobby, wanted such a debate to be excluded from anti-discrimination and anti-vilification laws. Many people in rainbow families endure discrimination and vilification every day just for being who they are. 
So I would like to extend a huge thank you to Ben Davison, Sue Swinburne, Robin, name withheld for safety and privacy concerns, Elvira Earthstar and Bruce Francis for their time and generosity during the recording and development of this show. Thanks also to my friend Rain and her kids for being so excellent and brave and to my partner Shona for being there. For more information about Rainbow Families, go to We Have Rainbow Families or simply Rainbow Families on Facebook. You can go to Rainbow Families Queensland at www.rainbowfamiliesqld.org and don't forget Queer Radio on 4ZZZ 9-10pm Wednesday nights. The music in this piece is Your Children from the Archipelicans album Here From Happiness, Nothing Wrong With Me from the Audrey's album Between Last Night and Us, Middle of the Hill from Josh Pike's album Memories and Dust and coming up is One Way from the Levelers album Leveling the Land. This has been Craig Garrett for Z Digital. There's only one